With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Interviews, news, and analysis of the day's global events. This is Compass with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Hello and welcome to the Global News Hour. This show is dedicated to bringing you the latest news from around the world as seen through the eyes of those living it, some of which may be reported in the mainstream, whilst other news that is ignored but just as worthy of coverage. If we are going to change how the news is presented and perceived, it also takes on a new way of being told. And at TNT Radio, we are now 10 million downloads strong. On today's show, an Australian man tells the story of how he defeated the police after being knocked around and arrested two years ago in the height of COVID hysteria. More than 3,000 car dealers have written to President Joe Biden begging for an end to the EV mandate because no one is buying them. An outbreak of pneumonia amongst children has now spread from China to part of the US and Europe as the Texan Attorney General is suing Pfizer for misleading efficacy on its COVID vaccines and former CNN presenter and now Trump, known Trump hater Chris Kumo admits he may even vote for Trump in 2024. What a time to be alive. This is Compass. But first today, Israel and Hamas have agreed to extend the current ceasefire in Gaza by another day. Following the exchange of dozens more captives on Wednesday, the Qatari foreign ministry has announced the extension was reportedly finalised just minutes before the previous truce was due to end at 7am local time Thursday. According to diplomats in Doha who have acted as mediators, the conditions for prolonging the ceasefire are the same as for the previous six days. These include an exchange of 10 Israeli hostages and 30 Palestinian prisoners, as well as the entry of humanitarian aid into Gaza. In light of the mediators' efforts to continue the process of releasing the hostages and subject to the terms of the framework, the operational pause will continue, the Israeli military said in a statement. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's office confirmed that Israeli authorities had a list of women and children to be freed in accordance with the terms of the agreement. And in a brief address from Tel Aviv, the US Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, reiterated Washington's continued support for Israel. Five key takeaways from his speech were the US's immediate focus, Blinken said, is working with our partners to extend the pause so that we can continue to get more hostages out of Gaza and more assistance in. Netanyahu made clear Israel intends to resume its military offensive in the bombarded enclave when Hamas stops releasing captives. He said, Blinken said Israel has the right to do everything it can to ensure that the slaughter Hamas carried out on October 7 can never be repeated, adding that Hamas cannot remain in control of the territory. Lincoln said he informed Israeli officials that before the country resumes its Gaza offensive, it must put civilian protection plans in place, designate areas where civilians can be safe and avoid damage to infrastructure such as hospitals and water facilities. Palestinians displaced from northern Gaza must be allowed to return when conditions permit, Blinken said. There must be no enduring internal displacement. Spokesman Majed al-Ansari confirmed on X that 30 Palestinian prisoners will be released today in exchange for 10 captives held in Gaza. He also clarified that the 10 Israeli captives released on the seventh day of the pause include two Russian-Israeli dual nationals released last night ahead of expected release of the 30 Palestinian prisoners from Israeli jails. 
Meanwhile, 17 Thai nationals are reuniting with their families after being held captive by Hamas for more than six weeks. Another six have been freed and will return to Thailand after competing, completing medical checks. Bangkok says it is doing everything it can to bring home the remaining Thai nationals held captive by Hamas. It is working with Qatar, Malaysia and other countries to secure their release. After weeks of uncertainty, a long-awaited return for these Thai nationals. Released captive Utai Sang Nguyen thanked authorities for bringing him home and asked the crowd to observe a minute's silence to commemorate the 39 Thais killed in Hamas's October the 7th attack on Israel. Most come from northeastern Thailand. They were among the thousands of agriculture workers employed near the Gaza Strip before the war broke out. Bangkok says it's doing everything it can to bring home the remaining Thai nationals held captive by Hamas. It's working with Qatar, Malaysia and other countries to secure their release. The government has instructed journalists not to ask the group about the conditions of their detention. Lampong Pinakalo left her village in the early hours of the morning to be at the airport for her son's arrival. When I first heard that he was safe, I was so happy. I simply couldn't speak. I was just so happy. Some are preparing for festivities, cooking elaborate meals to celebrate. We will have a ceremony for my son because he was terrified by the experience. We will bless his spirits. Waiting for her son to return has been painful, this woman says. Now she hopes he will rest and finally feel safe at home. That report from Jessica Washington there from Al Jazeera. Israeli forces opened fire on a Palestinian man during a raid into the town of Arabah near Jenin. Palestinian news agency Wafa is reporting. The 23-year-old sustained wounds in the upper part of his leg and was taken to a nearby hospital in a Red Crescent ambulance, Wafa reported. Israeli forces fired live ammunition, stun grenades and tear gas towards residents of the town and their homes, the report said. In a separate attack in West Jerusalem, at least three people have been killed and eight injured in a shooting at a bus station. The attack happened at the Ramat Junction, which is at the northern entrance of the city. Israeli emergency services say two gunmen involved in the shooting have been neutralised. Five of the wounded are in critical condition. Hamas said the two gunmen who were also killed were its members. With more, we join this report from Imran Khan. Well, the attack took place about an hour ago. Uh, we heard uh, from where we're standing right now a number of ambulances and sirens, people racing to the scene. We heard from an eyewitness who was actually working for the Israeli ambulance service who said he heard the shooting take place. He went down uh, to there to try and help people. Um, he saw uh, the, the attackers had actually hit a bus stop, uh, just spraying bullets everywhere. In that attack, like you say, eight people were uh, injured. Two of those actually died from uh, those in, in injuries. Uh, there's a 73-year-old Israeli man who's, uh, who died and a 24-year-old woman. Now five of those people have actually been taken uh, to hospital. Itamar Ben-Gavir, the National Security Minister, has gone to the scene. Um, he is... Uh, saying quite strong things about uh, the attack, vowing to take revenge on those that did it. The two attackers themselves have actually been killed, um, and we've seen pictures of them. They arrived uh, by car, and then 
uh, opened fire and then Israeli military and Israeli settlers, heavily armed uh, Israeli uh, settlers within that area actually shot them. So that's the latest from the scene so far. However, we are hearing off the record from ambulance sources that though that there may well be more deaths uh, because of those injuries a little bit later on. Argentina's president-elect Javier Malay announced Wednesday that he has chosen former Wall Street stock trader Luis Caputo to be the country's economy minister. Millet made the announcement on Radio La Red after a two-day trip to Washington in which he met US Treasury and the IMF or International Monetary Fund officials. Caputo, who worked at JP Morgan and Deutsche Bank, ran Argentina's finance ministry and then briefly at Central Bank from 2017 to 2018. He's known for his close ties with Wall Street and Buenos Aires banking sectors. Last week, Caputo, whose appointment is yet to be officially confirmed, met local and international bank officials to lay out Malay's proposed shock therapy for Argentina's beleaguered economy, which includes ditching the peso for the US dollar, erasing the fiscal deficit and closing the central bank. Caputo's economics consultancy firm, Ancar Latin America, earlier this year released a report saying that dollarizing Argentina would be difficult, though not impossible, and would require complex legal and financial architecture. Many economists in the country have repeatedly warned that dollarization is risky and that the government should prioritize other reforms to fix the economy. It's crucial to solve problems with a lot of expertise because if we make a mistake, we could end up with hyperinflation, Malay said in the interview, referring to a pile of more than 23.8 trillion pesos, which accounts to US $66 billion of the central bank's short-term liabilities held by local creditors. The new economy minister, Caputo, will also be tasked with renegotiating Argentina's troubled $43 billion loan from the IMF, on which the country has missed almost all of its targets this year. And the Organisation for Security and Cooperation in Europe, the OSCE, on November 30 kicked off its annual summit in North Macedonia amid boycotts and criticism from some members of states for the presence in Skopje of Russia's top diplomat, as Moscow continues its war in Ukraine. North Macedonia's Foreign Minister, Bujar Osmani, who currently holds the rotating chairmanship of the pan-European security body, slammed Russia's ongoing invasion in his opening remarks as host of the summit. Russia's war of aggression against Ukraine flies in the face of all this organisation holds dear, he said. Despite Osmani's remarks, North Macedonia has still faced criticism that it has given in to Moscow by allowing Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov to attend the meeting, though not without issues. Delegates from over 50 countries gathered in the country for the 30th uh, Ministerial Council, with the focus being on regional security, and it was overshadowed by the condemnation of Russia's war in Ukraine, prompting some countries like Ukraine, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania and Poland to boycott due to Russia's Sergei Lavrov's presence. Lavrov, meanwhile, said the OSCE is on the edge of a precipice. We pick up this report now from Al Jazeera's Harry Fawcett. The very presence of the Russian foreign minister at this gathering led to a boycott by Ukraine, Poland and the Baltic nations. Bulgaria refused to let Sergei Lavrov's plane through its airspace. And once he was introduced, several delegates walked out. His message when it came was that the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe had been captured. The OSCE is essentially being turned into an extension of NATO and the European Union. The organization, let's face it, is teetering on the edge of a precipice. 
Some members blame Russia for pushing it to the brink. OSCE monitors left eastern Ukraine after Russia's full-scale invasion last year, but the organization has issued several reports on alleged war crimes and crimes against humanity by Russian troops. Now Moscow is accused of deliberately paralyzing the body's decision-making process and starving it of funds. The Russian government's deceitful game is, and always has been, to use its brutal war of aggression against Ukraine to also destroy organizations that rely on peaceful coexistence and cooperation. And we will not allow that to happen. Others, though, have cautiously welcomed Russia's presence here. The European Union's foreign policy chief, Joseph Borrell, calling it a means of keeping multilateralism alive. And there was full-throated support from Hungary. The weapon deliveries prolong the war, and we don't need war, we don't need weapons in the region. What we need in the region is peace. Earlier this month, U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee announced that she had filed a subpoena demanding the release of flight logs associated with the late financier Jeffrey Epstein, a figure notorious for his connections with high-profile individuals in human trafficking and sexual abuse. Blackburn has set her sights on the private flight logs of Epstein, and since we're in the business of issuing subpoenas now, she said, here are a few more that I filed a subpoena to Jeffrey Epstein's estate to provide the flight logs for his private plane, she announced. Given the numerous allegations of human trafficking and sexual abuse surrounding Epstein, I think it's very important that we identify everybody that was on the plane and how many trips they took on that plane and the destinations to which they arrived, she added. But on Thursday, as many might expect, Senate Judiciary Committee Chair Dick Durbin, a Democrat, blocked Senator Martha's request to release the flight logs to pedophile Epstein and to subpoena Justice Sotomayor's staff. This is a sad day in the history of the prestigious Judiciary Committee and further underscores the left's two tiers of justice crusade, Senator Blackburn said in a statement. Senate Democrats have long been trying to undermine the Supreme Court and Justice Clarence Thomas, but want to ignore Justice Sotomayor's alleged uh, using her taxpayer-funded staff to coordinate speaking engagements in exchange for selling and promoting thousands of her books. They also don't want to have a conversation about the estate of Jeffrey Epstein to find out the names of every person who participated in Epstein's human trafficking ring, she added. In a post on X, Blackburn wrote, what are Democrats trying to hide? And Liz Crokin, a columnist known for her stories on Pizzagate, suggesting that high-profile individuals were involved in a child trafficking ring, wrote on X, there are members of Congress who rape children. Some are involved in Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking ring, while others are blackmailed or compromised in other ways. There should be an investigation to any member of Congress blocking the request to subpoena Epstein's flight logs. The walls are closing in on corruption like the world has never seen before. And after the break, the World Health Organization confirms an ammonia outbreak in China, the US and parts of Europe on the day their international health regulations were meant to be objected by sovereign nations or else acceptance with the pandemic treaty is assumed. This is Compass on TNT Radio. Pervoy Morich on TNT Radio. From June 2012 for BBC. Tony Blair, ID cards needed to tackle illegal migrants. Uh, of course, that was 2012. Those ID cards today are is, is digital ID. And uh, Majid Nawaz, among others, he, he says, globalist surrogates pretending to be right, populist right-wing influencers against Muslims and immigration are leading you into a trap. It was these very same globalists who opened 
opened our borders as part of their plan after invading multiple countries in your name. And of course, it's the same false flag formula. They're creating the problem intentionally because they have a solution that they want for us. So, you know, they got the solution, which is, you know, dystopia. Uh, and then they figure out, okay, what problems can we create to, to get where we want to go? So we want this algorithm ghetto. How do we get it? Flood in illegal migrants get rid of law and order and the solution is going to be the algorithm ghetto and we're already seeing signs of that pervoy morich on today's news talk radio tnt take us back in time and who was mike flynn he was the national security advisor to the president why is it that they go after me so hard why me why does barack obama only talk about two people to the incoming president of the united states when i was sentenced the judge says you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's gonna protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. At this moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism, or you're talking about communism. Socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat. People will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com. This, this is Compass with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. A number of European countries have reported a shocking rise of cases of pneumonia in children after kids in China started getting sick. A wave of pneumonia cases has been sweeping China since at least with uh, some China hospitals overwhelmed with sick children. And several European countries have reported a sharp rise of cases of pneumonia as well, similar to those that have plagued mainland China. Medics suspected mycoplasma pneumoniae, flu and respiratory syncytial virus or RSV to be behind the horror wave of the cases that has led to thousands of children being hospitalised in China, with paediatric units being swamped in many hospital worlds at capacity, with pictures of full waiting rooms being shared on social media. 
Beijing's Children's Hospital is receiving up to 9,378 new patients a day and has been at full capacity for two months, according to government newspaper The Global Times. Last week, the World Health Organization said it was monitoring undiagnosed pneumonia in children's hospitals in Beijing and other places in China. Since mid-October, northern China has reported an increase in influenza-like illnesses compared with the same period in the previous three years, according to the WHO. Clusters of undiagnosed pneumonia cases have also been reported in the north, the WHO said in their statement Wednesday, though it's unclear whether these are related to the respiratory infections. There is no evidence to suggest that the cases of pneumonia are linked to a new bacteria or virus, with scientists saying that they are most likely a result of increased respiratory illnesses due to the lifting of lockdown restrictions. Despite this, Taiwan has told children, the elderly and immunocompromised patients not to travel to mainland China as a precaution. India, Nepal, Taiwan and Thailand have ramped up surveillance and told doctors to be on alert for pneumonia cases within their populations. Several European countries have also reported a rise in cases of this mycoplasma pneumoniae, sparking fears of a new pandemic. Health officials in Denmark have say that rates of that same disease, a bacterial infection resistant to some antibiotics, have reached epidemic levels. It follows reports of a worrying number of children suffering from pneumonia in Sweden and the Netherlands. A WHO official said Monday that the spike in illnesses in China is not as high as before COVID and reiterated that no new or unusual pathogens had been found in the recent cases. But in India, the health ministry is bracing for a similar outbreak with hospitals ordered to ensure that there are enough beds, drugs, vaccines, oxygens and antibiotics to tackle a surge in respiratory illnesses. China was one of the last countries to lift their restrictions when it ended its COVID lockdown policies in January. Meanwhile, Maria Van Kerkhove, uh, the acting director of the WHO Department of Epidemic and Pandemic Preparedness and Prevention, said the rise in respiratory illness was in line with what most countries dealt with with a year or two ago. The phenomenon of lockdown exit waves of respiratory infections is sometimes preferred, referred to as immunity debt. Professor Francois Ballou of University College London told UK news outlet The Independent, since China experienced a far longer and harsher lockdown than uh, essentially than any other country on earth, it was anticipated that these lockdown exit waves could be substantial in China. Doctors in parts of Massachusetts and Ohio are reporting a spike in child pneumonia cases, similar to the outbreak spreading in China and parts of Europe. In Warren County, just 30 miles outside of Cincinnati, there have been 142 paediatric cases of the condition, dubbed white lung syndrome since August. Figure health officials there describe as extremely high. Not only is the above uh, it's above the county average, also meets the Ohio Department of Health definition of an outbreak, the county's health department said on Wednesday. Meanwhile, in Western Massachusetts, physicians are seeing a whole lot of walking pneumonia, a milder form of the lung condition, which has been caused by a mixture of bacterial and viral infections. US health officials confirmed that neither outbreak is being caused by a novel pathogen, and not all of the pneumonia cases have been caused by the same infection. Experts say a mixture of several seasonal bacterial and viral bugs are hitting at once, putting pressure on hospitals. Dr. Armesh Adalia, an infectious disease expert from Johns Hopkins University in Maryland, told the Daily Mail, I would caution against extrapolating one Ohio county to a country of 330 million people. Meanwhile, in Massachusetts, doctors say the main issue is RSV, 
respiratory virus that kills more than 10,000 Americans each year, mostly young children and the elderly. It will be interesting to tell how this plays out in the post-normal era of scientific media, politicised medicine, where unelected bureaucrats dictate health policy. But before they do, I want to play you a clip that is shared on multiple medical websites about pneumonia and specifically bacterial pneumonia, its symptoms and treatments. One thing is certain, whilst health authorities are urging keeping up to date with vaccinations, they will not investigate the vaccine status of those catching pneumonia or RSV to determine if their immune systems are compromised by said vaccines, because that is an entirely counterintuitive, but very, very real. Everyone coughs from time to time. You might pick up a cold, have an allergy, or just get a tickle from something irritating your throat. But if you're really hacking and coughing up yellow or green mucus, and you've also got a fever, chills, and shortness of breath, you may have picked up a more serious infection called pneumonia. And sometimes, pneumonia symptoms aren't so obvious. Pneumonia is caused by an infection in your lung. Bacteria or viruses like these can sometimes get into your lungs through your nose or mouth and make you sick. You're more likely to get pneumonia if you've got a problem with your immune system that makes it harder to fight off infections. You're also at greater risk if you've got a lung disease like COPD or cystic fibrosis, or you've recently been exposed to the flu, or exposed to cigarette smoke. People who live in nursing homes are also more likely to get pneumonia. With pneumonia, you may cough up greenish or yellow phlegm. You also may run a fever and have the chills. Pneumonia can make it harder to breathe. You may feel like you've run up a flight of stairs when you were just sitting still. If bacteria caused your pneumonia, your doctor can give you antibiotics, drugs that kill bacteria. Keep taking the antibiotics until you finish the whole prescription so you don't reinfect yourself. Your doctor may recommend that you get treated in the hospital. While there, you'll get antibiotics and fluids through a vein. You may also be given oxygen to help you breathe easier. Meanwhile, health officials and politicians still encourage vaccine take-up as the solution to almost everything, often ignoring any doubts by dismissing the doubter. Well, in Texas, the Attorney General has decided to sue Pfizer over its misrepresentation of its efficacy claims of the experimental mRNA. Is it any wonder that people are avoiding boosters and vaccines in general? Like Jeffrey Epstein's flight logs, like depopulation, vaccines are another taboo subject that is not allowed to be discussed in the mainstream for which misinformation laws are being bandied about. So whilst we can, we will discuss them here on TNT Radio, and we'll be back after the news headlines. TNT Radio News. Big news. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Former US Secretary of State Henry Kissinger has died, passing away at the age of 100 at his home in Connecticut. Five military personnel remain missing at sea, feared dead, after a US Osprey crashed off the coast of Japan on Wednesday. The Palestinian Red Crescent has sounded the alarm over the dire state of the health system in Gaza, and Russia says we are unlikely to see a ceasefire in Ukraine for at least another year. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton on November 30 sued Pfizer, alleging the company misrepresented how efficacious its COVID-19 vaccine really was. 
Pfizer misrepresented the results of a clinical trial run on its COVID-19 vaccine, according to the suit, which was filed in Lubbock County Court. We are pursuing justice for the people of Texas, many of whom were coerced by tyrannical vaccine mandates to take a defective product sold by lies, Paxton, a Republican, said in a statement. The facts are clear. Pfizer did not tell the truth about their COVID-19 vaccines. Pfizer did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Pfizer and its partner, BioNTech, touted the vaccine as 95% effective against COVID-19 infection in press releases and other statements based on the trial. The trial was aimed at determining how many participants contracted COVID with symptoms after receiving a vaccine, not COVID overall. Tens of millions of Americans subsequently received the shot. The efficacy estimated was a relative risk reduction for vaccinated individuals when compared to unvaccinated participants. Of vaccinated participants who had no evidence of prior infection, 0.04% tested positive for COVID. Of unvaccinated participants without prior infection, 0.9% had a COVID-19 case. That meant that there was a 95% relative risk reduction. Though absolute risk reduction, another way of measuring, is determined by subtracting the post-treatment risk of 0.04% from the baseline risk of 0.9%, which reaches a very different efficacy estimate. Pfizer misrepresented the efficacy by promoting the relative risk reduction number and relying on just two months of clinical trial data, according to the new suit. Of 17,000 placebo recipients, only 162 acquired COVID during the same two-month period. Based on those numbers, vaccine status had a negligible impact on whether a trial participant contracted COVID-19. It stated the risk of acquiring COVID was so small in the first instance due to this short window that Pfizer's vaccine only fractionally improved a person's risk of infection and a vaccine recipient's absolute risk reduction. The federal FDA preferred efficacy metric showed that the vaccine was a mere 0.85% effective. The FDA said in its guidance documents that relative risk estimates uh, reductions seem large and that treatments are viewed more favourably than when the same information is presented using an absolute risk format. It says drug manufacturers should provide absolute risks in addition to relative risks. Pfizer also misled the public, excluding COVID cases in the vaccinated if they happened before seven days had elapsed following a second shot. Paxton says, doesn't that change things? Pfizer was also aware of the lack of evidence its vaccine protected against transmission, according to the suit, but repeatedly made statements and ran advertisements advertising it as a way to protect people and their loved ones. The FDA, for instance, repeatedly said that there was not enough evidence to say the vaccine shielded against transmission. In many of Pfizer's statements, the company did not explain the difference between absolute and relative risk reduction. And Albert Baller, Pfizer's CEO, also made misleading statements to suit alleges, such as claiming after the trial results were released that the vaccine would help bring an end to the pandemic. He also claimed in February of 2021 that the protection from the vaccines was robust after six months, despite trial data not being collected yet after that period. Pfizer's misleading statements created the false impression that 95% of vaccine recipients would never get COVID. Full stop, the suit states. Later in 2021, data from Pfizer, Israel and elsewhere showed the vaccine protection started waning within months, leading to the clearance and promotion of boosters and ultimately new formulations. The FDA and US Department of Justice did not respond to requests for comment 
on the new suit. And as Christmas approaches, the usual lunacy and left-wing woke politics once again rears its ashamed head in this country of Australia, presumably because being Australian is offensive to the immigrants who leave their places of birth filled with tyranny, lack of opportunity, threats of exclusion and harm to come to Australia to make a better life, only for Australian politicians with nothing better to do than make Australia a better place. Instead, they want to remove what being Australian actually is. South Australian Senator Alex Antic has asked why is that the state government has removed references to the names of Christmas, Boxing and Australia Day, along with the ability to change the dates of these public holidays. Why would any immigrants support this, especially when escaping said tyranny and coming to Australia where Christmas, Hanukkah, Ramadan, Diwali and other such festivals are all welcomed? Well, this week, the state Labor government in South Australia have moved to enact uh, this bill, the Public Holidays Bill. Now, what it does is repeals the Public Holiday Act or the Holidays Act, which was previously in power. Doesn't sound like a big deal, public holidays. Everyone loves public holidays. But let's look at the detail. What's actually happening here is the references, the names of each of these holidays that we love have been completely struck out. There is no reference to Christmas Day in this bill. There's no reference to Anzac Day in this bill. There's no reference to Australia Day in this bill. And in addition to all of that, the bill also gives the government of the day the power to change any one of those days from where it is now to another date or remove it entirely. What's going to be the first one to go, do you reckon? I'll, I'll, uh, I'll let, you, uh, let you muse on that, but I'm willing to take a bet that Australia Day is on the chopping block as a result of this, and who knows? This bill, to me, looks like a cancellation of Anzac Day and Christmas Day in the making. This is pretty worrying stuff. You need to get in touch with your Labor Member of Parliament and tell them not to cancel Anzac Day, not to cancel Christmas Day, and not to cancel Australia Day. North Korea has blasted Washington for offering renewed peace negotiations, even as it ramps up military provocations in the region and tries to deny Pyongyang's sovereign right to develop its aerospace program. Kim Yo-jong, North Korea's foreign policy chief and sister of leader Kim Jong-un, dismissed the possibility of resuming negotiations with US officials on Wednesday, citing the extreme double standards displayed at this week's UN Security Council meeting regarding the launch of Pyongyang's first spy satellite. The sovereignty of an independent state can never be an agenda item for negotiations and therefore the DPRK will never sit face to face with the US for that purpose, Kim said in a statement carried by the state-run Korean Central News Agency. Main threat to international peace and security does not come from the exercise of the DPRK's sovereign right, but from the US high-handed and arbitrary practices to disturb, disturb and oppress it. Kim made her comments two days after the US and North Korean diplomats sparred at the UN Security Council over Pyongyang's right to develop weapons systems as it sees fit to defend itself. Kim Jong-un has hailed the satellite launch as a major military breakthrough for North Korea, saying it heralded a new era of space power. And in breaking news, mobile phones will be banned in schools across New Zealand, Conservative Prime Minister Christopher Luxon has said today, as his fledgling government looks to turn around the country's plummeting literacy rates. New Zealand schools once boasted some of the world's best literacy scores, but levels of reading and writing have declined to the point that some researchers fear that there is a classroom crisis. Luxon declared that he would ban phones at schools within his first 100 days in office, adopting a policy trial with mixed results in the US, UK and France. The move would stop disruptive behaviour and help students focus, Luxon added. We're going to ban phones across New Zealand in schools. 
We want our kids to learn and we want our teachers to teach. He said, coming up after the break, Australian citizen journalist Simon Timothy beats the cops and gets awarded costs over his arrest in COVID tyrannical Melbourne. This is Compass on TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. It's for the greater good. Have you noticed how often you've heard that expression? Mostly every time someone's advocating taking your rights away? The greater good. It connotes the old phrase, the common good, right? We're doing this for the common good. And we're gonna, yes, we're taking some of your income, but we're doing it for the common good. Well, that's shifted now to the greater good. Greater for whom? Never seems to be greater for me or for you. Always seems to be greater for them. And who gets to decide for whom it's greater? Why? Well, they do, of course. Be silly to allow you and me to be able to determine what's in the greater good and for whom. This is the insidious underbelly of the totalitarian governmental impulse. And it's not just here in the United States, it's in Ireland, it's in the EU, it's in Australia and New Zealand. China, they don't even have to bother about it. They do what they're told. That's the entire essence of a totalitarian regime. But what's scary is how many democratic regimes want to emulate the totalitarian regimes. For the greater good, I'll take a hard pass. For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. I'm CAL FIRE Battalion Chief Isaac Sanchez. And normally we like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourselves and your family safe during wildfires. But given the historic impacts that the weather has had on our state this year, we would like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourself safe during extreme weather. If you reside in an area susceptible to flooding, please take the necessary steps to prepare to evacuate if advised. Make sure you've identified at least two exit routes out of your neighborhood as one of them may be blocked or flooded. As the weather develops, remember to check in on vulnerable neighbors and family members. They may need additional time to prepare for evacuation. And just like during a wildfire, if you feel unsafe, please evacuate. You don't have to wait for the order to come. Keep an emergency go bag ready in case you need to evacuate. And always remember to plan for the safety of your pets as well. If you must leave, never drive around roadblocks. It can take as little as 12 inches of water to sweep your vehicle away. And always remember the mantra, turn around, don't drown. Be aware of first responders working in highly impacted areas, especially on the roads. For additional safety tips and updates on CAL FIRE activities, follow us on social media or visit fire.ca.gov. You're listening to Compass with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back. Simon Timothy, whose harrowing two-and-a-half-year battle against charges stemming from an arrest during a pandemic protest in Melbourne, has emerged victorious with police forced to pay costs. Simon's ordeal began when he attended a protest to witness the impact of lockdowns on friends who lost jobs and businesses. Little did he anticipate that his peaceful observation would escalate into a confrontation with the police. The pivotal moment unfolded when he found himself arbitrarily arrested, merely for leaning against a wall in a cathedral car park. Despite Simon's non-resistance, he endured aggressive treatment resulting in a broken back that continues to cause him excruciating pain. After facing charges for failing to provide his name and address, Along with three chief health officer-related charges, Simon found himself back in court. Here he is, Simon, being interviewed by Rebel News' Avi Yemeni. 
These are expensive glasses. They wanted my name and address, and I refused to give it to them. I knew I hadn't committed a crime, and neither was I going to about to commit a crime. And they said, if you don't give us your name and address, we'll have to arrest you. I said, well, arrest me then. And instead of arresting me, they just jumped me. They absolutely jumped me. I didn't know if they wanted me on the ground. I didn't know if they wanted me to turn around and put my hands behind my back. I didn't know what they wanted. I had six of them just jumped me completely. They say that I resisted for up to five minutes. This was all over in 20 seconds. 20 seconds. Sure, I was on the ground a little bit because I was pinned to the ground in a way that I couldn't turn around. One of the police body cams shows that I had my arm pinned underneath me and they were on me on the other way. So I couldn't move. It wasn't until they lifted me up and they took my hand out and they put cuffs on me. There was absolutely no resist whatsoever. But that was their justification to put 20 knees in my back to the point where they broke my back. And I'm in pain every day since then. Last time we stood here, the magistrate threw out my resist charge, right? Said it was unlawful, um, but I still had four charges to fight, right? Failure to provide name, and then three other Cho charges, okay? So we came back to court last week. My lawyer wanted to do what's called a voideur case where he wanted to raise the fact that because my resist charge was dismissed, all evidence that was gathered after that was unlawful and inadmissible in court. But the magistrate on the day had nothing to do with that. He said, no, I want to listen to the evidence from day dot. And I thought, here we go again. But I've been really blessed because I've had two really good magistrates here, mate. Really, really good magistrates. Because when they're actually confronted with the actual facts of what happened to me, they just threw it out completely. So we had to go back to the start again, what actually happened on the day. I had to sit there and watch the body cam evidence from Kristen Scouten for what they did to me. And the amount of triggeredness that was happening inside me, I was just shaking there. I was just trying to keep my composure because I had to relive what these people did to me. I asked my lawyer, are you going to get a chance to cross-examine this guy? Because what he said was absolute false. You look at the body cam evidence compared to his testimony, and I thought, this guy needs to be cross-examined. Now, my lawyer did such a good job cross-examining this guy to the point where even the magistrate, after lunch, he came back and he said, okay, do you want to do this voideur hearing right now? Because I've, I've heard basically what I need to hear about. And after doing the cross-examination, after doing the voideur, he just dismissed everything right there on the spot. We didn't even go to a section 138 of the Evidence Act. He just dismissed all charges. And the very next word that came out of his mouth was costs. He knew exactly where things were at with this case. And I'm just really thankful for the fact that once a competent judge was able to listen to the testimony, listen, look at the evidence, read their police reports and compare the evidence, threw, threw it out completely. So I had now two magistrates that threw out everything based on one police statement and one police body cam. And not only was the arrest unlawful, they used excessive force to the point where they broke my back. Like, I've just come back from an appointment from my physio yesterday. I've got a chiro appointment tomorrow. I am in excruciating pain every day of my life because of what these people did to me. And I'm just so glad that my case was heard in this place and that judges threw it out straight away because I knew from day dot what they did to me was unlawful. In March of this year, the Gateway Pundit interviewed Jeffrey McKellop, a decorated former third Special Forces Group soldier and US government contractor. McKellop is currently being held in the DC Gulag in Washington, DC, as political prisoner after he served his country for 22 years of military service. Jeffrey had been silenced by his government. After his arrest in March of 2021, he delved into the video footage and documented evidence from January the 6th. He was able to identify numerous government informants and agitators in the massive Trump crowd that day. After he put together his evidence, he sent it out to numerous contacts. That was when the FBI came into his prison cell and took his research. 
Then they attempted to silence him and ban him from phone and mail privileges. And today, eight months later, Rep Clay Higgins, a Republican, joined Chris Salcedo on Newsmax to discuss the government operation on J6. Rep Higgins told Salcedo that at least 200 FBI agents dressed as Trump supporters were in the crowd on J6. It was a government operation confirming what J6 political prisoner McKillop had already said. Let's play part of that interview with Clay Higgins now. A year later, we the people still do not have a definitive answer from you or anyone else in the Biden administration regarding the FBI presence and participation. Can you confirm that the FBI had that sort of engagement with your own agents embedded within to the crowd on January 6th? If you are asking whether the violence at the Capitol on January 6th was part of some operation orchestrated by FBI sources and or agents, the answer is emphatically You're saying no? No. Hmm. In my opinion, it appears the FBI congressman, as it targets one political party, targets whole religions, has turned into a quasi-secret police force targeting Americans rather than defending us. How do you see it? Yeah, very similar from my perspective, sir. The, the FBI was, was not only involved in the act, actions on January 6th from within. They had, uh, I suspect, uh, over 200 agents embedded within the crowd, including agents or, as they would call, human assets uh, inside the Capitol dressed as Trump supporters before the doors were opened. Um, beyond that, the FBI had embedded themselves and infiltrated uh, online chat groups and, and websites and social media accounts across the country with any group that was discussing uh, objections to COVID oppression. And the FBI, you know, effectively infiltrated those groups. And when you track the, the text threads and the communications within those groups, and find the origins of suggestions of potential violence or or an active occupation of the Capitol on January 6th, you'll, you'll find that those those messages were led by members of the groups that ended up to be the FBI agents that had infiltrated the group. So the FBI's involvement was deep, not just on J6, but on the days and weeks and months prior. Is Joe Biden's Green New Deal a few ice cubes short of a meltdown? On social media website X, Joshua Walker, a car dealer, said, I have four used Teslas on my lot. Nobody wants them. I even have one with free supercharging for life under $22,000 with autopilot. The market's flooded. The inventory supply is massive. I talked to many other new auto dealerships and they aren't moving any electric vehicles. Meanwhile, CNBC's Brian Sullivan went further. Thousands of auto dealers have written to President Joe Biden to slow the EV mandate because consumers don't want them. From CNBC's own website, hosted by Sullivan, last call on CNBC is a business show that explores the intersection of money, culture and policy with an eye on what's going to matter to the markets the next day. Sullivan is a car enthusiast and invited on his show Tom Maioli, a serial entrepreneur principal owner, celebrity motor car company, real estate developer, radio personality, vintage car collector, and motivational speaker. Sullivan explains that an EV he was looking at was from Ford's iconic F-Series range, 
was listed at $95,000, but was being offered on a car website for just $78,000. It could not work out how this was even possible. Let's pick up a part of their conversation now. The political push to force you to buy an electric car in many states hitting another little bit of a speed bump. In fact, thousands of auto dealers are now calling for President Biden to, quote, tap the brakes on the unrealistic government electric vehicle mandate. Their words. With us tonight is one of those dealership owners, the owner of Celebrity Motor Cars, Tom Maoli. Tom, um, it, this isn't like you and a couple other people, right? I mean, this is a lot of no, car is, dealers this writing this letter to the White House. Yes, good to see you. This is thousands. This is thousands of dealerships that, that represent multiple brands, not just one brand, domestic, um, you know, international brands, um, and, you know, all across the board. Um, and this is basically the voice of the consumer. This is not the dealer. This is the voice of the consumer. And what's happening is the manufacturer is being forced to produce these EVs. They're shipping them to the dealerships and they're backing up on the lots. You know, our, our average day supply pre-COVID was 60 to 90 days supply of inventory. During COVID, it was less than 30 because of the supply chain issues. We're now backed up up to 12 months with EVs. Consumers don't want them. They're not buying them. We have up to $15,000 in rebates from the manufacturer and $7,500 tax credits. We're talking $22,500. And people, they think I'm some EV hater. I've owned an EV. I've driven many of them. I'm not. In fact, I've been poking around because I think they're very cool in, in many different ways. I was looking at a Ford F-150 Lightning, and I saw something, and you have a Ford dealership, that I, and it wasn't yeah. on your website, it was on cars.com. I don't know who the dealer was. The Lightning retails for what, 95 new, something like that? Yes. Okay, right. I saw brand new F-150 Lightning, I mean like 23 miles on it, yes. for 78000 It had been Correct. marked down $20,000. Yes. How is that Correct. possible? Still can't sell it. Consumer doesn't want it. The consumer's in fear over the infrastructure. The infrastructure is not there. The what you know, the White House and and the, the Biden administration and and got out way out over its skis with this mandate. And the consumer has to buy into it, and they're not. And the problem that exists now is you know they force the manufacturers to spend all this money to build these plants and produce these vehicles, but the consumers aren't buying into it. Meanwhile, Tesla's Cybertruck pricing is out and way above earlier estimates that had said the truck would go on sale in the US for under $40,000. It now starts at $61,000 for the base model, leaping to $80,000 US for the mid-spec, all-wheel drive, and over $100,000 US for the top-spec model. You can more than double those prices for the Australian market, who has a quarter of a million dollars for a work vehicle. Now, what is going on with Chris Cuomo? Well, one of Trump's greatest critics was Cuomo, the former CNN presenter and brother of former Democratic Governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo. He appeared on Patrick Bet David's podcast and was asked by the host who he would choose between Biden and Trump. His answer was surprising, to say the least. If it's Biden, Trump, look, for me, again, um, we survived a Trump administration. Uh, would we survive another one? Yes. Yes. I don't think there's any greater risk to America with him than with Biden. And for people who are now going to attack me and say, what are you talking about? Trump is like this crazy man. Well, look, you know, as Patrick says, the data is the data. Nobody was trying to kill us when Trump was president in a way that they're not now. If anything, there's more hostility. And you can have reasons for that any way you want. I'm just saying existentially, I'm not afraid of a Trump presidency. 
um, existentially, I'm not afraid of another Biden presidency because unlike many people in America, I believe that the country is much stronger than any individual leader. Um, we survived the Russia thing. We survived January 6th. We survived having Biden as a gaffe machine. We survived uh, Congress uh, going after each other and doing nothing for the rest of us. We survive these things. Are we better for it? No. Uh, should we be doing things differently? Yes. I think it happens. I don't know when. I don't even know why. But, you know, in terms of who I'm going to vote for, I would really have to see where we are at that moment in time. Uh, and So you're open to a Trump vote? I am always open. And I'll tell you this. People say, oh, bullshit, you've never voted for a Republican in your life. Wrong. And not only have I, the first vote I ever cast was for a Republican. Is an enormous leap from the Trump-hating vitriol and lies that were directed at the 45th president during his four years in the Oval Office. But as the economy slumps, the cost of living rises and the war is lost in Ukraine, while the US support for Israel divides the nation, the Biden re-election is almost impossible at this stage. Meanwhile, out in the real world, comedian Jim Brewer gets the last word here from this huge comedy festival. Take a look. What? is going on right like it's past it's past if you're divided politically even you have to admit even if you're like i don't care as long as it's not you know who demonic like the devil came out and just whoever like we're gonna make people hate Donald Trump hate get him I hate Donald Trump he's a racist he's a dead white supremacist he's a insurrectionist he's a he's, they lynch people I saw the news channels. I saw them saying, he's racist, he's sexist. You would just wake up to pee in the middle of the night. He hates Mexicans and he, he says they're rapists and he hates black people. And he, they had, remember the woman's march? We're gonna march! That was Jim Brewer playing out of Long Island, and you can check him out online for free. Now, even Sportsbet now has Trump at $2.37 against Joe Biden at $3.25 of becoming the next president of the United States. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's edition of Compass. If you did, please tell your friends. Coming up next is Chris Smith. This is Jason Olborn for Compass on TNT Radio. <laughs>